0: Before I came on staff at the church a very long time ago, I had a corporate job. And that job sometimes kept me on the road two to three days a week. And so needless to say, I lived in a constant state of of transition. I would wake up in a hotel and I would forget what city I was in. And I would leave the hotel and I would walk out into the parking lot and I'd forget I couldn't find my rental car. Because after a while they all just become the same Chevy Malibu. And then, um, you know, it was the same, it was pretty much the same deal. I would come into town, have just enough time to go to Chili's, which always seemed to be in the parking lot of the hotel I was at, and have the same buffalo chicken ranch sandwich, go to the hotel room, iron a shirt, go to sleep, get up the next morning, go meet my customer, run to the airport, rinse and repeat. (laughs) Yeah. It it got taxing. The the frequent fire miles only go so far in in making that feel better. Um, And so, like I said, transition, right? Never feeling quite like I was at home. And then uh, my company moved me to be closer to my customer. And that state of transition didn't really go away. Layer on top of that, that I felt out of place. Where I moved to, I was the one who talked funny. Right? My wife and I were the ones who acted funny. Here's a little pro tip if you travel down south. If somebody says to you, oh, bless your heart, it's not a compliment. Right? They're not, they're, not, they're not wishing you well. If I had to travel and the lawn needed to be cut, Gail would go out and cut the lawn. One of the neighbor ladies would inevitably come over and say, oh, bless your heart, which meant your husband is some kind of jerk because ladies, <laughs> ladies don't mow the lawn. Um, if you ask the, uh, you know, if, you ask the cashier, "Oh, how you doing?" They would tell you, right? Uh, Mama just had her hip replaced. Daddy's got a big hunting trip coming up. Like they would, they would tell you exactly what was going on. The pizza was terrible. Bagels were almost impossible to find, right? You just you couldn't. We, we were taken, sent by my company from our home. Foreigners, sojourners, and in some sense, exiles. Right? We were sent. To a faraway land called Arkansas. Um, Is that the U.S.? It is. It feels a little bit like a foreign country sometimes, but um, you know, we that that idea of exile, right, is a is a biblical theme. The idea of not quite feeling at home, of living in a state of of transition, of your behavior your speech being different from what goes on around you. And it's a theme that we find throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. God's people, despite numerous warnings from numerous messengers, could not just keep their eyes fixed on God and follow God with all their heart. And so they were exiled three different times. Three different times. You would think after one exile, they might... I might get it three different times. Jesus, in a sense, was sent from heaven. Not in a sense, he was sent from heaven. But to live here among us, in a place that was not his home. Heaven is the home of Jesus, king of the universe. And so Paul picks up on this idea of living like exiles in the phrase, we are to live as citizens of heaven. And that's what we're going to talk about today, this idea of living as citizens of heaven. We're in Philippians chapter 3, continuing on in our study. We're going to go from chapter 3, verse 17, through chapter 4, verse 1. And what I hope that we can all walk away with today is something that looks kind of like or sounds kind of like this. Out of the overflow of our relationship with God that we can live differently. We can live like citizens of heaven. That's the big idea for today. Um, like I said, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Join together and following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mindset is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. All right, right back to the top, verse 17. Following my example, this is a big thing for Paul, having spiritual role models and mentors. And based on what Paul said just a couple of verses before, a spiritual role model or mentor is not somebody who is perfect. It's not somebody who makes no mistakes. It's not somebody who does everything right. It's somebody who realizes that they have not yet attained all of this, but they press on. They make an effort to put Jesus at the center of their life. And they have a teachable spirit If you're looking for somebody to follow, look for somebody who knows that they don't have it all figured out and they're willing to learn. Don't tap somebody on the shoulder who has a prove-me-wrong attitude and say, can I follow you? It won't won't take you to a good place. Um, In verse 18, this idea of enemies of the cross of Christ so we don't know specifically, this is where the, the letter of Philippians gets gets kind of funky. For Through this and the rest of, of chapter 4, there's references that Paul doesn't really fill out the details, right? There's that, that knowledge within a relationship that you don't have to write everything out, That's just kind of understood. Um, so we could speculate maybe three different categories that would be enemies of the cross of the Christ. There's the Jesus plus crowd, right, that we talked about, the Judaizers who wanted to tell people, insist on people, you had to become Jewish before you could follow Jesus, specifically circumcision. There was just kind of the society, the Roman empire around the, the people of Philippi, right? So that would have been um, people who followed the Roman gods and participated in the, their ritual worship, a lot of which you know, had strange sexual stuff going on and, and just weird whatnot. Um, and the last one, and I always struggle pronouncing this word, so somebody could feel free to correct me, but the antinomians. And those were people who said, we have grace, we can do whatever we want. They just like throw off all moral restraint. So based on the next verse, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, Based on, uh, and their minds are set on earthly things. If I had to guess, I would say that's who Paul was writing about, was the antinomians, right? Their appetites are what guided them. Instead of having Jesus at the center, their appetite for food, drink, pleasure, comfort, sounds kind of like me. (laughs) That's where I get distracted, right? Those are the things that can distract us. But regardless, those three groups of people were, were surrounded, the Church of Philippi, and it just goes to show Paul's heart for people, whatever their condition was, whatever was keeping them from putting Jesus in the center, whether it was they were adding things to the gospel and making it harder to get to Jesus, they just couldn't see Jesus at all because they were trapped in the, in the world around them, or that they misappropriated grace and they took advantage of the grace that they had in Jesus. It broke Paul's heart and brought him to tears because he wanted people to live as citizens of heaven. And that requires Jesus being in the, in the center. So I'm just going to citizenship in heaven. This is kind of like the thing that we're going to focus on here in a second, but it's the idea of living differently and the, the cause, the motivation, the empowerment for that living differently is found in, in Jesus who by his power transforms us. His power is what transforms us in this life. Right? We talked about a couple of weeks ago, we go from glory to glory. It's his power that allows us to go from where we were before we met Jesus to who the people are that Jesus created us to be. But it's also the power to transform us into eternity. That line, it says, our bodies will be we'll have a glorious body like Jesus's glorious body, right? Jesus's resurrected body. He was recognizable, but he also just like appeared in rooms. So there's a a body that we don't fully understand what it's going to look like when Jesus returns and makes everything new, but he's going to make our bodies new. So if you have aches and pains and your body's not doing maybe what it used to or what you'd like it to, we have that hope, right? We will have a glorious body, and we will be able to just show up in a room someday. I'm waiting for that. Um, there's argument over. So, when the Bible was originally written, there were no chapters, there were no verses. Our our smart guys put those in there to help for as reference points to help us find things. <laughs> all right, we can argue about that later. Um, so, this idea of we're gonna, I'm going to consider, I'm actually going to do it both because we're going to talk about it next time too. I'm putting chap, verse 1 of chapter 4, both in chapter 3 and chapter 4. That therefore gives me the freedom to do that. Stand firm. This idea of living like citizens of heaven means it's going to take effort. It's not just going to happen. The, quote, the Dallas Willard quote that I say all the time is, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is opposed to earning and not effort. We have got to stand firm. And that stand firm actually is like a military term. It's like as the enemy is approaching, you hold the line until the commanding officer says, do whatever you're, you're supposed to do. You stand firm in the face of the enemy. So living like citizens of heaven, that can sound like a huge task. And the first thing I want to say is let's not get overwhelmed by that. Again, referring to Paul's words. He hasn't attained all it. Paul, the apostle, wrote more than half the New Testament. If he's still growing, we can still be growing. right? We need to not get overwhelmed. We need to not beat ourselves up over I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. We are all works in progress, moving towards Jesus in in the center. So we want to look at Paul's own words, this idea of um, citizenship in heaven. Paul writes about also in Colossians 3, just two verses here. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Our hearts, the center of who we are. In biblical terminology, when you hear the word heart, it means everything that you have, the most important part. like That's how much focus we need to have on things that are above. And our mind is our intellect, our spirit. We need to be focused with everything that we have, intellectually, physically, emotionally, relationally, on things that are above. So that's kind of helpful, right? But not a lot of specific um, directions. So let's look at Jesus's own words in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Now, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that I didn't realize that there were actually Bible verses that our Father came from, the Lord's Prayer came from, until I was like 17 or 18. Um, But Many of us grew up in a tradition in which this, these verses form the basis of a really important prayer, a beautiful prayer. Um, but it's also this great, um, very clear set of expectations from Jesus of what we should be praying for, therefore how we should be, how we should be living. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, our Father in heaven, right, our relationship with God is unlike any other relationship that we could ever have. It is at one time both incredibly intimate and it should be on our part reverent and it is very personal. Right? Scripture says God knows how many hairs are on our head, and he has our days numbered right before we were before we came to be. Um, hallowed be your name. It's a fancy way of saying, worship God. Live your life in response to God. Your lifestyle should be that of worship. Whatever you do, you do it as unto the Lord for the glory of God. Your kingdom come. So the prayer is that Jesus would return. Right? We want Jesus to come back. We want him to restore all things. We want him to make everything new and to wipe every tear away. That prayer also means that his kingdom would grow individually until he returns. That more and more people would be putting Jesus at the center of their lives as individuals and as communities like like Crossroads. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are supposed to live now as if we were already in heaven. God's will is perfectly understood and perfectly acted upon. Right? That should be our goal. God's will should be what shapes us, not our will, not our agenda, not our, our egos. And what's really interesting, on earth as is in heaven, that phrase in the original modifies everything that came before it. So our goal, we were talking about this before service a little bit, is to bring heaven with us wherever we go. One of the commentaries, um, I think it was N.T. Wright, said something to the effect of, um, you know, the Western church, let me rewind for a second, the Western church has kind of done this thing where, all right, hurry up and introduce people to Jesus and then hurry up and die so you can go to heaven and be with him. We're missing a huge chunk in there, right? And the quote from N.T. Wright is something to the effect of, we need to figure out what to do with the pesky interval between baptism and death. Life, right? We're supposed to live as if we were already in heaven. We're supposed to bring heaven with us wherever we go. We're not supposed to just curl up and wait for things to be done. Our, the creation mandate, we're to rule with and like God over the earth. That includes our relationships, that includes our jobs, that includes whatever. So, really good guidelines. How to pray, how to live, but let's get even more specific. We're starting at a really high level and we're getting more and more specific. And we're gonna do that by looking at two quick examples from the Old Testament. And what I hope you can take away from these two examples is, again, this all comes out of the overflow of our relationship with God, right? Is that we would be for our place of exile, but not with it. Okay, I'm gonna explain what that means, But that we would be for our place of exile, but not with it. And we start by looking at the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was writing to the people of the Babylonian captivity. God's people taken from their land, taken from their temple, their place of worship, and made to live someplace else. And I'm going to refer to a chapter that may be the most overused, misquoted coffee cup verse ever that exists. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the verses that come before it. We're going to talk about the verses that come after it. This is Jeremiah writing to the people of the Babylonian captivity. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Live Productively, in your place of exile, in Trumbull, in Bridgeport, in Stratford, in Shelton. Live relationally, live alongside folks who have not yet placed Jesus at the center. Bring heaven to them. Pray for Trumbull. Pray for Connecticut. Pray for the United States of America. Pray for our planet right this we're supposed to, God commands us to pray for this place in that he has us and it's no mistake that you are where you are right now if you're in a hard place that can be like a lot to wrestle with but God has you right when and where he wants you for something that he has uniquely prepared you and gifted you to do that's what he's that's what Jeremiah is reminding God's people of even in exile even even in exile jump ahead a few verses then you will call on me this is God talking to the people of Israel then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart in this sense the call of the Old Testament is the exact same as the call of the New Testament God is to be our number one priority when you seek me with all of your heart Right? Again, the heart, that center of, of who we are, of, of everything that, um, that we do. So that's where we are to be. Um, we're to be for our place of exile. And then if we look at another example, another prophet, Daniel. Right, Kind of famously, Daniel was in captivity. He was taken into captivity. Young man, good-looking, talented, smart, new people, was a good leader, and he, went, he was called into service for the king of the country in which they were being held in exile. The king issues an edict. You may not pray to anyone but me. Daniel's like, oh, okay, here we go. And he knew, right, Daniel was a person of prayer. He knew what he needed to do, and he continued to pray to his God, the God of the Bible, the only true God. His rivals found out. His rivals witnessed it and they ratted him out. Daniel is um, There's Daniel praying at his window, we found out. And then Daniel was famously thrown into the lion's den. God saves him. When the king learns that God saved Daniel, he not only reverses the edict, but he issues a new one. Everybody's got to pray to Daniel's God. That's the, only, that's the only prayer that we're having. It's the prayer to Daniel's God. So what do we do with that? What do we get from that? Sometimes it is necessary and appropriate for us to rebel and subvert what goes on around us. And let's be super, super um, careful with this, right? This is not like pick your pet policy or issue and make you know that where you throw yourself on your sword. I'm talking about like the bedrock foundational issues of walking with Jesus, like Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If something happens around us that impinges, prohibits, those are the things that we should rebel against. Um, there's a, a commentator um, this guy is a veteran of Afghanistan, he's a podcaster, he's an author, he's a lawyer, his resume is pretty pretty um, unbelievable. But he said a couple of different things about this idea of having, um, being careful about where we, not being, careful is not the right word, but being intentional about where we subvert and rebel. Um, he said, the church has, mistakenly formed its members to be adamant about policies that are difficult and contingent and flexible about virtues that are clear and mandatory. He follows that up with, The call to counterculture, the call to rebel and subvert, is comprehensive. When the world is greedy, you are generous. When the world is cruel, you are kind. When the world is fearful, you are faithful. When the world is proud, you are humble. How do we... How do you know we're Christian? By our love. So we are called to be for our place of exile, but not with it. And we get the power to do that, the direction to do that, from our relationship with God. So I want to give us a chance to kind of marinate on that for a minute. I'm going to go back to those verses in Matthew, and I'm going to read to you Chapter, chapter 6 verses 9 through 13 the Lord's Prayer the Our Father I'm going to read it slowly and I'm going to read it a couple times and however you think and pray best if you want to close your eyes close your eyes I just want you to see what, what the um, what the Holy Spirit brings to you alright so I'm going to I'm going to pray this for us and you guys just close your eyes and, and ask Jesus to to speak to you Our Father in Heaven Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus, thank you for teaching us how to pray. Thank you for laying out expectations for us as we uh, as we move forward into the rest of our day and our week and the months ahead. Jesus, remind us, Holy Spirit, prompt us that we are citizens of heaven. remind us that we can bring heaven with us wherever we go. Because you reside in us. Jesus, help us to keep you at the center of our lives. Help us to help each other remove obstacles from doing that. Jesus, would you just continue to lavish your grace and mercy upon us that it might overflow out of us and onto those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.